Hi there, this is Omar Crook, host of Living with a Genius. I want to personally thank you for your financial support. Your donation helps keep this show chugging right along, and I truly couldn't do it without you. As always, thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time. Here's Living with a Genius for November 9th, 2020. It was on this day in 1906 that Theodore Roosevelt became the first commander-in-chief to travel outside the United States on official business, traveling to Panama to inspect the construction of the Panama Canal, a project that he championed. President Teddy Roosevelt oversaw the realization of a long-term United States goal, a trans-Isthmian canal. Throughout the 1800s, American and British leaders and businessmen wanted to ship goods quickly and cheaply between the Atlantic and Pacific coasts. To that end, in 1850, the United States and Great Britain negotiated the Clayton-Bulwer Treaty to rein in rivalry over a proposed canal through the Central American Republic of Nicaragua. The Anglo-American Canal, however, never went beyond the planning stages. French attempts, however, to build a canal through what was then the province of Colombia advanced further. Led by Ferdinand de Lesseps, the builder of the Suez Canal in Egypt, the French began excavating in 1880. However, malaria, yellow fever, and other tropical diseases conspired against the de Lesseps campaign, and after nine years and a loss of approximately 20,000 lives, the French attempt went bankrupt. In spite of such setbacks, American interest in a canal continued unabated. Shortly after ascending to the presidency, Roosevelt spoke of the Panama Canal in a speech to Congress, saying, No single great material work which remains to be undertaken on this continent is as of such consequence to the American people. In 1902, the United States reached an agreement to buy rights to the French Canal property and equipment, for a sum not to exceed $40 million. The U.S. then began negotiating a Panama Treaty with Colombia. The U.S. Department of War would direct excavation, but many, both in the press and in the public, sensed a scandal, or worse yet, good money thrown after bad. In the New York Journal, William Randolph Hearst contended that the only way we could secure a satisfactory concession from Colombia would be to go down there, take the contending statesmen by the necks, and hold a batch of them in office long enough to get a contract in mind. Hearst's statement proved prophetic. When Colombia grew reticent in its negotiations, Roosevelt and Panamanian business interests collaborated on a revolution. But the Battle of Panama lasted only a few hours. Colombian soldiers in Cologne were bribed with $50 apiece to lay down their arms, and as the USS Nashville cruised off the coast in a show of force, on November 3rd of 1903, the nation of Panama was born. The U.S. quickly assumed parental interest. Americans had written the Panamanian Constitution in advance, with the wife of pro-canal lobbyist Philippe Bunavaria sewing the country's first flag. A payment of $10 million secured a canal zone and rights to build. Bunavaria, installed as the Panamanian minister to the U.S., 
signed a treaty favorable to American interests, and the $40 million given to J.P. Morgan for distribution to French stockholders disappeared amid rumors of larcenous speculation. However, 1904, the Americans' first year in Panama, mirrored the French disaster. The chief engineer, John Findlay Wallace, neglected to organize the effort or to develop an action plan. The feud went putrid, the living conditions were abysmal, and political red tape put a stranglehold on appropriations, disease struck, and three out of four Americans booked passage home. Engineer Wallace soon followed. The Americans had poured $128 million into the swamps of Panama to little effect. But the arrival of Wallace's replacement, the rugged and ingenious John Stevens, marked a turn in fortunes for the beleaguered canal. Stevens had built the Great Northern Railroad across the Pacific Northwest. In rough territory from Canada to Mexico, he had proven his tenacity. And his new plan of action would ultimately save the canal. The kind of work that needed done, Stephen reasoned, could only be done by a well-housed, well-fed, disease-free labor force. Stevens began work not by digging, but by cleaning. Dr. William Gorgas, who had helped to eradicate yellow fever in Havana years before by killing the mosquitoes that carried it, directed sanitation efforts. Workers drained swamps, swept drainage ditches, paved roads, and installed plumbing. They sprayed pesticides by the ton. Entire towns rose from the jungle, complete with housing, schools, churches, commissaries, and social halls. Furthermore, the canal's very engineering also changed. After nine months of Capitol Hill lobbying, the push for a lake and dock canal, favored by Roosevelt, succeeded. By December of 1905, yellow fever had been officially eradicated on the Isthmus. And on November 9th of 1906, Roosevelt visited the canal himself. All in all, the Panama Canal cost 26,000 lives during construction and is now designated as one of the seven wonders of the modern world and a monument of the millennium by the American Society of Civil Engineers. The earth and rubble alone removed from Cologne and Balboa was enough to bury the entire island of Manhattan at a depth of 12 feet. I learned something new today, and I hope you did too. Thanks for listening. Be kind, do good work, and until next time.